0: Good to be here with you guys. Love doing this with you. Lord bless you. Jonah chapter 2, 10 verses, action-packed. Verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And this is what he said. He said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice. In other words, a very low place. I was in despair, and you heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. And so I said, I've been expelled from your sight. I've been banished from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever, but you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, what a great word. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. And then verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to give you a few quotes that I think are really appropriate for our time together, really appropriate for Jonah chapter 2. Let me give you this first one. It's from uh, Augustine or Augustine of Hippo, St. Augustine or St. Augustine. And this is what's happening with Jonah. He says, The confession of evil works is the beginning of good works. So often we want to do right, we want to do good, but we got to be real about what's real and confess the ugliness of our sin before we can do anything good for the Lord. We got to be honest with the sin in our lives, right? John Wesley says this, Because Jonah's a preacher, right? And God told him to go preach to Nineveh. Wesley says this. He says, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin. Jonah was in sin when he rebelled against the Lord when he ran to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away, instead of going to Nineveh. He says, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. That's what the Lord is trying to get Jonah. And I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. And we'll see later when Jonah goes to preach to Nineveh, that's exactly what happened. And then Charles Spurgeon, this is a little lengthier of a quote. I think this is fantastic. This is Jonah's life, this is your life, this is my life, this quote from Spurgeon. He says, Christ loved you before you loved him. He loved you when there was nothing good in you. He loved you though you insulted him, though you despised him and rebelled against him. He has loved you right on and never ceased to love you. He has loved you in your backslidings and he's loved you out of them. He has loved you in your sins, in your wickedness and folly. His loving heart will, uh, was still eternally the same and he shed his heart's blood to prove his love for you. He has given you what you want on earth and provided for you an habitation in heaven. Now, Christian, your religion claims from you that you should love as your master loved. How can you imitate him unless you love too? And that's what the Lord was trying to get into Jonah's life before he went to Nineveh. Good quotes, aren't those? Aren't those very typical of us? Do, do those not apply to us? Let's pray. Almighty God, we open up our hearts and our minds and our lives to you. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to speak to us. And we ask always that you strengthen us to adhere to what it is that you're asking us and what you're teaching us, that we may come alongside um, uh, your word and, and do what it says. And not merely be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. And so we just pause. We pause our lives to hear from you, Lord. These words from Jonah chapter 2. Have your way with us, we pray. And we ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Again, so good to be with you guys. Thank you for being here. Let's reread Jonah chapter 2. I want to read that again, okay? Jonah chapter 2, starting at verse 1. So Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and the Lord answered me. I cried for help, and he heard my voice. For you, Lord, had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me, and so I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. (laughs) Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. He's at the bottom, bottom, bottom of the ocean, essentially. But you have brought up my life from the pit. <laughs> but you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Hmm. Let's take this apart one verse at a time. Let's go to verse 1. In verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. Interesting prayer place. Where's your prayer place? I tend to go to the stomach of a fish. That's where I like to hang out. Let's recap chapter 1. God told Jonah to do what? What? To go preach where? To Nineveh. Where did he go? Right? Nineveh's 500 miles this way. He went 2,500 miles the opposite direction. Instead of going 500 miles east, he went 2,500 miles west. And then he gets on a boat. And what happens on the boat? Things go crazy. Right? And he's where? He's down in the boat doing what? He's in the very bottom. He's sleeping. Right? There's a storm because of Jonah's disobedience. And he's sleeping. So then they wake him up. And he tells him to do what? Toss me overboard. And now he's at the very bottom of the depths of the ocean. That's chapter one. (laughs) It says, then Jonah prayed to start chapter two. Then Jonah prayed? Church, (laughs) when is your then? When is your then? When is your then? What has to happen before we start to pray. Jonah prayed from the stomach of a fish. All that stuff that happened, the 17 verses of chapter 1, and then Jonah prayed when he's in the stomach of a great fish. When the word came, when the word of the Lord came to Jonah, remember chapter 1 verse 1 says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. When that word came to Jonah in chapter 1 verse 1, Jonah was in Jerusalem. Maybe, just maybe, that would have been a good time for him to pray. Even if he didn't like what God told him to do, that might have been the best time to pray. Consider. Instead, Jonah traveled 35 miles to Joppa, arguably on foot. 35 miles from Jerusalem to Joppa. So that has an expense, doesn't it? Right? So instead of praying, when the word of the Lord came to him, Jonah travels 35 miles to go to Joppa. There's an expense there. Then he paid the fare, it says. He paid the fare to jump on a ship to go 2,500 miles away. There's an expense there, isn't there? And then a great storm came to the ship that he's on board, and the crew threw all the cargo overboard. There's an expense there. Then they threw Jonah overboard, which caused the sailors to uh, greatly fear the consequences of the Lord. And so there's an expense there. And then a great fish ended up with an unusual assignment or detour. That was a whale of an expense. (laughs) Pardon the pun. And so I ask again, when is your then? See, there's an expense, church. There is an expense when we continue to put off the Lord, to ignore the Lord, and to disobey the Lord. There's an expense. Every time. And so we ask, what took so long? Jonah, what took so long? Jonah did a lot of things in chapter one, a lot of things, but prayer, turning to God, was not one of the things that he did. He turned to the sailors in chapter one before he turned to the Lord in chapter two. Oftentimes we do the same. We turn to all the other people, but we never turn to the Lord. For some of us, perhaps, it's time to turn to the Lord in some area ...of our lives. God's saying, turn to me. Turn. When is your then? You have experienced perhaps the expense of not turning to the Lord. And you find yourself swallowed up. Right? You get that? Turn to the Lord and do it now. Consider this. If you and I don't think that we have fled from the Lord like Jonah... Then let's consider our prayer life. Think about it. When Jonah was fleeing in chapter one, he wasn't praying, he wasn't turning to God. Conversely, when Jonah wasn't praying, he was fleeing. In chapter two now, we see that Jonah is clearly praying and he's no longer fleeing. I could argue when we're not praying, when we're not in the word, when we're not in fellowship, we are indeed fleeing from the Lord. Church, a whole lot of crazy stuff happened in chapter one. A whole lot of crazy took place in chapter one before Jonah finally prays. Oh, church, may we learn to pray sooner. Yes, may we learn to turn to God sooner. It's better for the Lord's purposes in getting him to Nineveh. It's better for our walk with him And it's better for others around us. If Jonah would have just prayed sooner, it would have been better for the Lord, better for him, and better for the lives that he impacted around him. Verse 2. So Jonah prayed, and he said this. He says, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. I don't know if you, you probably would not, anyway, notice the subtlety um, from the first part of verse 2 to the second part of verse 2. He transitions here from he to you. Look at this. In Jonah's prayer, he says, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. It's very formal, almost distant. But then he says, I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and then he says, you. He doesn't say he heard my voice, he says, you heard my voice. You see that difference? He answered me, but then as he kept praying, he says, but you heard my voice. See, our rebellion against the Lord, it creates a distance, even amongst prophets, where when we go to re-engage the Lord, it feels more formal, we don't feel as close, and and it takes some time to get back close to the Lord, right? And so it's more like, oh, I I prayed and and the Lord, yeah, he answered me, as opposed to Lord, I prayed and you heard me. Jonah's re-entering into a healthy relationship with God. Notice also that there's almost like two camps or two depths of this verse. He says, firstly, I called out of my distress, and the Lord answered me. And then he says, I cried for help. You heard my voice. What's the difference between I called out of my distress and I cried for help? That word, I cried out of my distress, is more informational. Jonah's being informative. He's recognizing his sin, if you will his distress that he's in. It's more informational. But it's a different Hebrew word for I cried for help. I called out of my distress is informational. I cried for help is more emotional. It's more raw. And so Jonah's progressing from just being informational to more emotional and more rooted in his heart instead of just in his head. And so church, I, I proclaim that we need to do both. Are we not to do both? See, so often we're good at calling out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, this. Oh, Lord, that. Oh, Lord, this. Like a to-do list, checklist, whatever, right? But I I assert that we need to cry out to God in addition to calling out to him, that we're to cry out to him. I don't don't want to, yeah, show of hands because I don't want to put anybody in the spot, so I'll just do it to myself. You know, when's the last time you cried out to the Lord where you really cried out to him? emotionally, where you were just moved. Emotionally. That's a great place to be. It's hard. I'm sure this was hard for Jonah to not only to call out, but also to cry out. I do it all the time. That's either a really good thing or I'm just a wimp. I'm not sure which one, but I'm okay with that. I think God wants to take us to that place where we cry out to him. Jesus cried out to his father all the time. We're to do both, I believe. Let's quit being so informational and so formal in our prayer and cry out to God. It's a good word for us. I'm sure that none of us here in all of our current perfection will ever sin again. However, (laughs) in the case that you do, would it not be appropriate to confess our sin, Lord, I did this, that's the informational piece, and to have grief- for our sin. That's the emotional piece, the crying out. We like to confess our sin. All right, I confess I did it wrong, but we don't have this emotional attachment to our sin and we don't grieve over our sin. And that's what we see happening in Jonah in this verse. Our life, like Jonah, our life is about managing distress. And through crying out for help that each and every one of us need, that is our life. Managing distress and crying out for help to the God that wants to offer it to us. Cry out to God. Call to him. Cry out to him. We're in verse 3. Verse 3. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. Who does he say in verse 3, the very first line, who does he say cast him into the sea? What does it say? You, the Lord. I thought the sailors threw him overboard. Is this a typo? It was very wise of Jonah to realize that it was the Lord who threw him overboard, not the sailors. See, when things happen to us through other people, like the sailors, it may be a good time to ask the Lord what he is up to and what he is teaching us and showing us. So often, if the sailors throw Jonah overboard, Jonah's like, what? What what are you guys doing? Like, what's that about? And you start blaming the sailors and the ways that the the, the sailors treated you. And God's like, no, no, (laughs) I threw you overboard, Dude. Like So we, we tend to focus on the people that may have done something to us, and we're losing focus on the fact that God's trying to teach us something, and God's working in our lives. And so oftentimes when something happens to us, we really should say, Lord, are, what are you doing to me? What do you, you teach me? What do you want me to hear? What do you want me to see? Instead of focusing on the sailors, focus on the Lord. Yes, <laughs> the Lord, as this verse tells us, the Lord casts us into the deep. He engulfs us. He has things pass over us, these words say, because he loves us, like he loves Jonah. Because he wants us to ever remember that we need his help. When do we need his help? All the time. And that without him, we're in distress. So he allows these things because he loves us. He wants us to ever remember that we need his help and that without him, we're in distress. Church, turn to John chapter 15. Go to John chapter 15 in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, greatest book ever, Luke, then John. little plug for the book of Mark. Still think it should be the first one in the New Testament, but who's complaining? John chapter 15, verses one through five. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 15. (laughs) Jesus says the same thing. He says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, Oh, he prunes it so that it may, may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. <laughs> the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he says it more succinctly in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in them, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, what can you do? Nothing. Not not even a few small things? No, nothing. Nothing. You can't do nothing apart from me. And yet we try. And yet we try. And yet we try. Verse 4, church. Back to Jonah chapter 2. Verse 4. And so I said... I have been expelled from your sight, banished from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Wow. That's an amazing, amazing, amazing verse. Can I tell you what I think about verse four? I think verse four is a verse of greatness for us that follow God. Verse four will make you great if all you do is remember verse four because you will have moment after moment after moment in your life where verse four will come into play all the time. I have been expelled from your sight and nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Through all the ups and downs of life, our determination to keep looking to the Lord is what makes us great in His eyes. Amen? Always look. Keep looking. Keep looking. I am sure that there's more than one person here this morning that this was difficult to do this week. Sometime in the last week or two weeks, more than one person, this was hard to do. It's hard. Nevertheless, I will look again. The enemy desperately wants to remove this from our vocabulary. The enemy desperately wants to remove this attitude from our hearts. He wants to beat us down, beat us down, so that we say, I'm not going to look anymore. Verses 5 and 6. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains, which find their home in the the ocean, right? The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. These verses, verses 5 and and 6, show us where the capabilities of man take us and where the capabilities of God take us. Okay? Okay where the capabilities of our own doing can take us and where the capabilities of God's doing take us. Let me explain. Let's reread those verses. This is where our capabilities take us. (laughs) Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me. And look at that last word, forever. Our capabilities bring us to a forever separation from the Lord. That's what we're capable of. Our capabilities bring us to a forever separation from God. But look how verse 6 concludes. But, (laughs) right? I love that word in the Bible. After bad stuff, when I see the word but, it's like, oh, hope is coming. But, but you... But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. That pit means grave. It means corruption, destruction, death. Have we somehow lost sight of this in our lives, that we have been delivered from a pit? Have we somehow lost sight of this? When we truly understand (laughs) our pit deliverance, I think that's on the screen, right? We got that, Kevin? Yes? No? There we go. When we truly understand our pit deliverance, (laughs) it changes our posture before the Lord. But it also changes our posture towards one another. Right? I think that's the next slide. Thank you. It also changes our posture towards one another. When we truly understand our pit deliverance, that should change our posture before the Lord all the time. But it also changes our posture towards each other. When we realize that we've all been delivered from the pit, we ain't any better than anybody else. We ain't any worse than anybody. We're all the same. We've all been delivered from the pit. It's what makes fellowship sweeter when we recognize that I was just like you and you were just like me. Even in all your self-righteousness, our self-righteousness is but filthy rags, it says. We have nothing that the Lord can utilize unless we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. Then he sees us as holy and blameless and perfect. And so when we understand our pit deliverance, it allows us to be better, brothers and sisters, be better at being the church. Mm. Verse seven, church. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. This verse shows <laughs> the fickleness of mankind. It does say in verse 7 that Jonah remembered the Lord and that his prayer came to the Lord. Is that a good thing? Fantastic. Yes. That's what it says. Jonah remembered the Lord and that his prayer came to the Lord. But it opens, that verse opens, it says that it didn't take place until his life was fainting away. Who does that sound like? Interesting, isn't it? I have no doubt, given another chance, Jonah would do so sooner. He would turn to the Lord sooner. O oh, church, may we turn to the Lord. May we learn to turn to the Lord quicker and quicker and quicker. But what we also see in verse 7 is how good the Lord is. It's never too late to cry out to God. Jonah saying, I was almost completely gone. My life was ebbing away. And he cried out. Church, it's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late to cry out to God. In Jonah's worst rebellion, he's a prophet. In his worst rebellion, and as far from God, arguably, as he's ever been, the Lord heard him and answered him. Isn't that isn't that fantastic? No matter how far you've strayed from the Lord, no matter how rebellious you are or are being or have been or will be in the future, the Lord's there for you. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never fail us. Verses eight and nine, church. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. The main truth of verses 8 and 9 that are to be taken is the last line of verse 9 that salvation or deliverance is from the Lord. That's the word that God wants Jonah to get, that salvation comes from me. Your salvation, Jonah, how I just saved your life, it comes from me. And we're going to do the same thing in Nineveh. Salvation or deliverance comes from God. In this understanding that salvation comes only from the Lord, which is now a, a really personal for Jonah, is going to, again, help him in his willingness to preach to Nineveh. Let me give you a, uh, one of my commentaries says this. Jonah herein declares his convictions in these verses, his conviction that Yahweh alone is the source of salvation. And he bestows it upon those who call on him. On the other hand, those who look to idols will miss the the grace that could be theirs. See, this verse, the second line of verse 8, forsake their faithfulness, is the same thing as forsake the grace that could be theirs. When we turn to anything other than the Lord, we forsake the faithfulness of God to us when we put anything and anyone before him. Oh, church, oh, church, oh, church, the grace that could be ours when and if we truly put the Lord first. The grace that could be ours, the faithfulness of him that could be ours if we truly put the Lord first. We're all so guilty of that sometimes. When we forsake the first commandment, what's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. When we forsake the first commandment, then we forsake God's faithfulness to us. His love, his kindness, his gentleness, his loyalty, his goodness. And perhaps each of us needs to assess if there are any vain idols that we have regard for in our lives. Hmm. As Jonah had to. Because the reality is we were created to worship. God created us to worship. And we're all going to worship and re- regard something or someone it's in our nature, but nothing comes before God. Verse 10, church. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. In every version, that's what it's going to say, and that's exactly what happened. Done with you. Check this out. It says that he was vomited up on dry land. Let's reread verses 3, 5, and 6. And let's look at the contrast here. In verse 3, this is where Jonah was just at. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The current engulfed me, and your breakers and billows passed over me. Verse 5, water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. And then he says in verse 10 that Jonah is now on dry ground. (laughs) What a contrast. What a contrast. Church, the Lord can change when we turn to him and we're humble and we confess and we cry out. The Lord can change our current reality just like that. From being engulfed in raging stuff in the depths of the sea, vomited onto dry ground. Sometimes that's what it feels like when we come out of those places. It's like, whoa, that was gnarly. What current reality would the Lord desire to change for you right now? What current reality would the Lord desire to change for you right now? You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to call out, and you're going to have to cry out to him. And he can do it. Just like that. Clearly, while in the big fish, <laughs> Jonah was thinking and learning there, right? It doesn't say um, all what he was doing, but clearly, to have that kind of prayer, he must have been thinking and learning. I would be. Considering all that happened in chapter one, now I'm in the big fish, I'm thinking and I'm learning. So unless you and I <laughs> think the Lord has called us to stop thinking and learning then perhaps we can expect to be swallowed up at times so that we too take that time to think and to learn and to pray and to assess and to confess and to cry out let me ask you this in the last 12 months raise your hand if you feel like you've been swallowed up at least once right I now pronounce all of you with the middle name of Jonah, right? God still works in the same ways. In this chapter, Jonah has expressed his feeling of being in the deepest part of the ocean and completely hopeless. That's what he's describing in this chapter. He's completely hopeless. But how amazing is this, that the Lord uses people like Jonah who are absolutely at their lowest, I can promise you this. There are some here today that are at their lowest. Holidays are tough. For some people. They can be tough. There are some here today, they're at their lowest. And they have a deep sense of hopelessness. But God. But God. That's the God we serve. In your hopelessness, in your lowest estate... God can still use you, just like he did Jonah. He remained steadfast to him and said, We're, we're going to be okay. <laughs> we're going to get through this. That's the God we serve. Amen.